from your favorite Grasslands PR team. We're back this week with another reason why these overlooked and underappreciated ecosystems are objectively the best biome. I'm Rachel. I'm Alan. And I'm Nicole. <laughs> and today we'll be talking about native gardening. <gasps> native Yay. gardening? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Is that like just going to be a Kansas thing before we even like get, or are you going to talk about stuff that's relevant for people who aren't in Kansas <laughs> so anybody listening can know if they should tune out? <laughs> yes, yes. So we'll go over like why it's good to plant native and like some kind of worldly resources, um, but we'll also go into very specific resources as well. And like specific plant recommendations, okay. which are going to be Great Plains, if not like Kansas specific. So if okay. you hear a cool plant, look it up, make sure it naturally exists where you are mm -hmm. before you throw it in your yard and think that you're doing native gardening. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Good, good plan, yeah. Yes. Okay, cool. Every time I see a wildflower packet, I'm very dubious about whether it's wild in my area. And that's yeah. always a concern I have is that people think they're doing something good and it's actually, you know, mm -hmm. yeah. right. it's like the whole Cheerios thing. I'm sorry, what? what? <laughs> you didn't know about this? This is only in my circle. Oh, no, okay. I can't remember this. This was like a couple years ago, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Cheerios. I don't know. Can we say this? It's yeah. Late. Cheerios. <laughs> they don't sponsor us. Fair. They gave out like native seed wildflower packets in their boxes of cereal. <laughs> and they, it included horribly invasive, aggressive plants in the mix. <laughs> like <laughs> not just like, oh, they were marketed at U.S. audiences and they had like European plants, but like European plants that are really aggressive and like terrible. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. So, okay. Oh, God. <laughs> Nicole, do you mean to tell me that Honey Nut Cheerios has, <laughs> been, Cheerios. Yeah. has been a long game to destroy the ecology of North America through not only oh its honeybee mascot, oh. but also through the planting of invasive seeds? I don't think I can legally say that. <laughs> But like, <laughs> you know, big if true, it leaves questions. Okay, it does. It does. <laughs> this is a more fun conspiracy theory than some I've heard. So. Yeah, I I dig it honestly. It's sorry, Cheerios for the slander. That's true. But you can't sue us because we don't believe it. There's a slight cut in the podcast at this point <laughs> because we began accusing General Mills. <laughs> The manufacturers of Cheerios of some pretty intense conspiracy theories <laughs> regarding the destruction of North American ecosystems. That makes yeah. it sound like it's untrue. It is citation needed. Okay. But they did demonstrably distribute really bad wildflower seed mixes. They did do that. But we have to choose to believe that they did it from a place of goodness. That's right. And ignorance. Yes. Incompetence, not malice. Yes. There we go. Yes. So you're off the hook this time, Cheerios. Uh, mm. Do it again and... <laughs> <laughs> and Nicole's coming for you. <laughs> yes. That was not a threat for legal reasons. Oh, yes. Absolutely. <laughs> Anyways. So, native gardening, Nicole. <laughs> yes. How do you do it? Good question. Uh, before we get too far, though, mm -hmm. I really want to talk about a very exciting announcement. Oh, because on February 7th, the city of Wichita's city council voted to make Wichita the first B-City USA affiliate in the state of Kansas. Yeah. And, yeah. 
weird. It's very exciting. (laughs) It is uh, a nationwide initiative. Initiative, yes. Where they focus on education, creating and improving pollinator habitats, and incorporating pollinator-friendly practices in the city. So (laughs) it is a big deal. It's not just like a random award or anything. Like this is something that we have to actively improve our city in order to keep that certification. It seems more robust than some of the other programs that we've seen too. Like um, love monarch stuff. Mm -hmm. They often have a focus on like gardening and adding green spaces, but Mm -hmm. you know, without uh, working on pest management for the city and a lot of other pretty robust things. So it's really exciting. Yes. B-City requires like demonstrable changes uh, on a pretty significant scale from from local government and from uh, people who are just engaged with native gardening in the town. So it's really, yeah, it is really cool. And it's very exciting that Wichita has decided to be a part of it. Yes. Yeah. And that we're a part of it. Yes. Woo-hoo. With the city. Yeah. <laughs> yes. We uh, we at Grassland Groupies will be heading the Bee City Committee. And so we will be working with uh, Wichita Parks and Rec and a lot of really great volunteers to make this happen. Yeah. Yeah. We really missed out on an opportunity to call it the Eddie Bitty Bee Committee, but it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> Probably okay that we didn't. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> It's pretty cute, though. <laughs> it can be the unofficial name, you know? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure. Okay. <laughs> Great news, Nicole. How do we start making gardens? Yeah. Yes. So now that, like, we all want to have more native bees, mm-hmm. but how? Mm-hmm. Okay. Right? Yeah. I mean, the first thing I wanted to talk about <laughs> mm-hmm. was why first. Just because... Oh, I'm already on the how. Yeah. We, we got to talk about why first. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll, right. we'll go through it pretty quick, but... It's important to talk about because not a lot of people realize like some pretty big like ecological concepts as to why this is so important, specifically around like insects. So most insects, especially like butterflies and moths that have caterpillars, those caterpillars can only eat a specific... um, (laughs) Host plants. Yes. Oh, yeah. So... I feel like the concept of host plants is something that people are vaguely aware of, but not just how like specific it can be. Right. Some species of insects literally can only use like one family of plants or even one specific species of plant to raise its babies on. Yeah. So if they lose that one plant, they just die. Like there's no hope for them. Guess <laughs> so I'll die. Yeah. yeah, like they cannot raise their young anymore. They're they're lost. So these relationships are very very important to their livelihood. So yeah, yeah. I feel like people are somewhat familiar with monarch caterpillars yes. and their need for milkweed and stuff. Yeah. So that's a nice like entry point for oh yeah, tons of other insects are very specific too. Like they yes. only need violets or whatever. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And even with, like, monarchs, like, they can use, like, almost any species of milkweed. So good for them because that's not always true for all all (laughs) insects. (laughs) What's the most specific one you know of? Uh, I mean, there's, like, there's a Cycnia moth that uses dogbane, I think. Like, the one plant? Yeah. And then there's, like, like, skippers only use grasses. And a lot of times it's one species of grass. But, yeah, and, like, it's just, it's, this is, like, one of my favorite topics is like the relationship between insects and plants mm-hmm. and these relationships are so precise not only like it's it's the color of the flowers it's the shape of the flowers that can also be very very important 
actually yeah (laughs) okay (laughs) yeah like whenever you're thinking of like adult insects visiting flowers the shape and the color of those flowers is extremely important okay so then when you get into you know the reason why we plant native over non-native is those non-native plants have not evolved with these insects the insects either don't know how to access the food within literally cannot eat it or there's even, even if you see pollinators visiting non-native plants, there's been research showing that the they're not getting as much benefit as if they as if they had visited a native plant. So the nectar rewards in like a European daffodil for our native plants here in the US is not the same and it's not as good as a native plant would be for that uh, insect. Okay. Just like nutritionally speaking? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. It's so coevolution to like a T yes. between mm-hmm. native plants, native pollinators. Yes, absolutely. Like it's it's a very delicate relationship. So and that's why it's so so important to have these native plants around and how and how even a very small garden can make a really big difference. And I know that not everyone necessarily gardens for bugs, and that's okay. And that's why I garden. <laughs> uh, but it's, I think it's really important to kind of find your why and find your goal and to stick to it. And maybe that goal changes over time, and that's okay too. But like, for example, native plants are more than just host plants for bugs. There's a lot of native plants that are really good at attracting uh Bees? No, dang it! That's another bug. <laughs> that is a, that is a bug, that Nicole. <laughs> just you need to know. There's also birds. Yes, they exist. Birds is yeah. what I was trying to say, and I just said bees instead. I just like For bugs, real? guys. Yes, <laughs> Nicole, that's so funny. <laughs> I just really like bugs. No, I yeah, know. you do. But yeah, I've been to uh, bird gardening seminars, and I've done bird gardening seminars where. We talk about not only the food that plants offer, but, oh, this vine has really flaky bark and it can be useful for them to build nests. And so they'll visit it for that reason. Or uh, this plant attracts a lot of bugs and the hummingbirds will eat the bugs, too. You know, like uh, so there's a lot of different uses even then. Yes. And like like we said, color is really important, not just for bugs, but but for birds, too. They really like red and orange in particular. So, Mm. yeah. And like the shape. Uh, hummingbirds like those really long tuby flowers so yeah it's i just love pollinator and plant relationships it's fascinating (laughs) it's kind of the base of the whole thing really yeah the whole ecosystem yeah yeah that's why i bug uh, why what (laughs) Mm -hmm. that's why (laughs) that's why i bug (laughs) yes you should get that tattoo that's why i bug bug. (laughs) most tempting tattoo i've heard (laughs) But yeah, that's that's why I garden for bugs is like you need the bugs to have the birds a lot of times. And so like if you have healthy bugs, healthy plants, you automatically have healthy everything else. In my opinion, there's a lot of other reasons why people garden. Yeah. Native plants are also really good for just lower inputs into your garden. So I don't recommend fertilizing native plants. It will make them grow way too fast and way too tall and just be out of control. You also have to use way less water. So native gardening is a way of xeris escaping if you're into fancy words and just using less water. So you can be eco-conscious in that way too. And less upkeep in many ways. Yes. There is obviously, to get it established, it's a lot of work. But eventually it does become uh, fairly self-sustaining 
yes or no? Mm-hmm. No, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There's we'll talk about it, but there's definitely upkeep to a garden. Right. Uh, but yeah, in general, natives are kind of touted as being a low maintenance garden alternative. So. That's very key for me. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I have a native garden and I watered it when I like was first establishing it. And then I was like, see you later, friends. Hope you make it because that's how I garden. Yes. (laughs) Survival. Yes. Survival of the fittest. I'll replace the ones that died. That's fine. Like, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. Well, I think, yeah. yeah. If you are going to garden, you are going to kill some plants. Yeah. And that's okay. Yes. No shame, (laughs) no judgment. None at all. Keep keep going. It's going to happen. It's natural. Yes. It's probably less easy to kill native plants, though. One would hope. I would Mm -hmm. think. Because they've evolved to be here wherever here is for you. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. They're very well adapted to the environment in which you were planting them. And so they don't need to be babied (laughs) like a lot of other plants that people insist on putting in their yards. So, And I feel like the third big thing that people like to garden for, like a why that might speak to you if it's not eco-friendliness or wildlife, would just be straight beauty and aesthetic. So (laughs) uh, that's a big reason why a lot of people garden and native plants are very unique. They have a lot of different, very fun shapes, colors that last all year versus a lot of plants that you see in greenhouses. They don't bloom very long and they Mm. don't come back the next year. (laughs) And so native gardening is very versatile in that way and can be just as be- as beautiful as any other, you know, garden. So yeah. Plus, uh, you're making a good point about it just being different enough from yeah. other gardening too. That if you really want a unique look, <laughs> yes, you can. Yeah, really stand apart in your gardening by making those choices. Yes, absolutely. It's true. I mean, if you live in a place like we do, where there is not necessarily a huge amount of the natural character of where we live. Yeah. Uh, you know. Um, yeah. Oh, it's native sad. Gardening, yeah, well, I know it is sad, but, you know, native gardening is a good way to restore a little bit of that and give a yeah. sense of place to where you are and yes. where you live. And, yeah, it's mm-hmm. nice. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And purdy. It's purdy. So whatever your why may be, whatever your goal for gardening may be, it's probably going to be different from mine. It's going to be different from Rachel's. It's going to be different from Alan's. And that's okay. And the upkeep and the maintenance that you do on your garden is – always going to come back to that why. And that's why everyone takes care of their garden differently because they're all gardening for different reasons. Whenever I do my gardening, I tend to keep seed heads on year round. I'll, you know, chop them off in the spring after the new plants are starting to come up underneath. I also keep all my grasses. Like I don't really chop down my grasses very much. Like I like to keep those grasses as visual interest throughout the winter. Mm. But some people don't like doing that. They don't either don't like the color or it just takes up too much space or whatever other reason that they might have. And that's okay. Yeah. Uh, it's it's honestly been like a hard pill for me to swallow that maybe not everyone cares about bugs as much as I do. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, maybe they're picking different plants that aren't like the best option but that's okay too. And it is your life's work to yes. make everyone care about bugs as much as you do. 
You're yeah. just, it's still in progress, though. Yeah. We're getting there. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so the, the, the upkeep of a garden, even when it's a native garden, is certainly not zero. <laughs> mm-hmm. there, there's lots of editing that needs to happen. There's lots of weeding that needs to happen. And I always recommend with any garden, at least once a week, get out there and just get your hands dirty, see what's going on, see what plants are coming up, see what's starting to bloom. You know, learn your garden while you're out there weeding. Make it interesting and fun for yourself so that you want to do it again. Because mm. I, I hate weeding. I love gardening, but boy, do I hate weeding. Yeah. <laughs> but if I can make it into like a bird watching trip or like, you know, <laughs> I flip a couple of rocks and find like a worm or a snake or something like that makes it more fun. The really amazing thing about native gardening is that just the diversity of animals, specifically insects, of course, that are going to be found there is incredible. Like I've done some really fun like insect surveys on native plant plantings versus like a traditional planting. And like literally I would go through and sweep net every single plant in this stupid European based traditional garden, find like two bugs. And then I go over to the native plant garden that has like a similar amount of plants and is of a similar size. And it's literally thousands of insects moving around through this garden. And there's, there's birds in the garden eating all those insects. Like there's just so much life there and just literally nothing in the other one. I think we have all at some point as, environmental educators had the experience of like going to a school Mm -hmm. and taking kids outside to where their school, you know, outdoor spaces and then trying to sweep for bugs (laughs) on a lawn Bermuda grass (laughs) lawn or what have you. And you get like three spiders. Yeah. And uh, Mm -hmm. it's a much different experience when you're doing it in actual native plants. So, I mean, yeah, it doesn't take a lot to really increase the diversity. Yeah. Yeah. And I I feel like it's like I'm not being dramatic when I say there was thousands of insects in this native garden. Oh, yeah. And it wasn't big. Like it's it was probably 25 square feet. Like it wasn't a big garden. Mm -hmm. And there's literally thousands of insects in it. Yeah. Just incredible. Yeah. And just for listeners at home who maybe aren't super sold on bugs, when Nicole's talking about (laughs) bugs, she does mean things like butterflies and like beetles and things that do have like a lot of aesthetic value and aren't just, you know, creepy, crawly, spooky things. Yeah. So just to paint a picture. Yes. (laughs) Appreciate that. (laughs) Some of them are creepy, crawly, spooky things, though, Mm -hmm. and that's okay. They deserve to be there. Yeah. It's their house. Mm -hmm. I think it's also really important, like when you're first establishing a garden, to pay attention to what the baby plants look like so that you're not accidentally pulling things that you want there. Uh, And it's, I think it's easier to know like what the weeds look like versus trying to memorize what like all the baby like native plants look like Mm. because there's really like three or four big like weedy plants that you're going to come across. So like dandelions clovers like most of the clovers that people have in their lawn and dandelions Mm -hmm. there's still like a good early season nectar source for a lot of butterflies and things yeah it's not the best thing that we could be giving them but it's better than nothing so i mean you don't have you don't have to pull these plants if you see them in your yard or in your garden you don't have to Mm -hmm. you can keep them if you want like i keep a lot of like wild violets that popped up in my garden i didn't plant them there i also i keep the grape hyacinth not a native, but I keep them because they're pretty. They smell good. They don't last that long. Mm. And then all my plants that I want to be there will just take over and it's fine. 
So yeah, again, it comes back to your why and what you want your garden to look like and why you're gardening. So cool. yeah, I guess if it's not taking over, then there's not necessarily a reason to remove it. Yeah. But if you want a really aesthetic garden and you want it to be like mulch and like plant, 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 you know, kind of more traditional looking, mm-hmm. then you would remove them and that's fine. Cool. Yeah. And yeah. <laughs> it's, it's important also you know, even the native plants that you do plant there, you're probably going to have to edit those guys out too at some point, either because they're getting to places where you don't want them or they're out competing other plants. Mm. So I think that that's important to talk about too, is like, it's not just plant it and forget it, even with the native plants that you want to be there. This is reminding me of uh, Brad from Dick Arboretum warning us about like some of his experience building native gardens and choices that like having planted them he now realizes oh this plant here is really really aggressive and took over the entire garden and so now I know how to use it better in new spaces. Yeah and I think that that's also really important to point out is a lot of these plants act way differently in a garden than they do in like a prairie Mm. or like in a forest or wherever you're getting these plants from. So, like, for example, my favorite example is snow on the mountain. (laughs) In a prairie, it just grows straight up and has a little tiny, like, little bloop umbola of flowers. And Mm -hmm. it's very cute and delicate and just, like, a beautiful little plant. Mm -hmm. In a garden with no competition, (laughs) it turns into a bush. (laughs) (laughs) And it's still very pretty and, like, I like it. I think it's a very fun garden plant. And it's one of the plants that would have thousands of insects on it every time I visited it. Uh But, like, that look isn't for everyone. And I (laughs) understand that. (laughs) Fascinating. So it's not necessarily something that I would say makes a good garden plant because of that. Do I like it? Absolutely. But it gets a little ridiculous. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, for sure. Aren't there, you can find resources if for like planting guides, if you're Mm -hmm. trying to more, uh, maybe a little more closely emulate the community dynamic that you'd Mm -hmm. see in a wild setting, right? Like there are ways that you can co-plant to kind of achieve that, even though you're not going to get, like you said, like the competition is not going to be the same, the the factors aren't going to be the same, but you can try to emulate that a little bit, right? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, if plant tall plants together so that they're supporting each other and they can hold up each other. Mm. So things like common milkweed and coneflower by themselves just look very weedy. They tend to start getting so tall that they end up drooping. Mm. They need to have a support system around them because- in a grassland, they would have grasses and other things holding them up. Mm. And they just, they cannot hold themselves up by themselves. <laughs> yeah. So, so interesting. Mm. Yeah. I mean, Aww. milkweed's better at it than coneflower, but still. Huh. Yeah. Everybody's holding each other up out there. Yeah. It's nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, grasslands are so wholesome. It's Aww. true. It's true. Mm. <laughs> I I mentioned sometimes having to edit even native plants. Some good examples of like really aggressive overseeders would be things like milkweed. Not only does it have pretty aggressive uh, under like the ground movement and like so you'll plant it here and then it shows up like 10 feet away (laughs) suddenly (laughs) uh, because of underground tubers, but also it's it has a ton of seeds and they are very uh light and they blow away on the wind and will get absolutely everywhere okay so it is acceptable and perhaps even encouraged to not keep those seeds pods around just because it's gonna be chaos 
I, one thing that you can kind of do to get around those if you want to harvest the seeds is actually like very lightly like rubber band them or tie them with like a piece of string. And that way they can still mature and like start to pop open, but they won't pop open all the way. So then you lose all your seeds. Oh. So then you can still harvest them and plant them for next year or yeah, do whatever oh, that's you need. super cool. Yeah. Okay. Because <laughs> milkweed, like common milkweed mm-hmm. doesn't, the seed the seed pods like pop because of lack of moisture or like it's a, a hot season, a warm season thing. I believe so. Yeah. yeah. They, okay. they get all dry and crunchy and then they just bloop. Yeah. And then they're everywhere. Yeah, I feel like I have everywhere. seen native beds in town that where the milkweed has gone nuts. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's a very very aggressive plant. It's great to have in a garden, but if you're going, especially common milkweed, I honestly normally don't recommend common milkweed in gardens just because of how aggressive it is. Mm. I always recommend butterfly milkweed though because it's cute and small and easy to edit. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So yeah. That is my milkweed of choice. <laughs> I'm picturing, too, if you, like, had the seed pods partially splitting open and mm-hmm. the seeds starting to spill out, that uh, things like birds that would use that as nesting material, yeah. potentially, or other useful things. I guess it depends which season it's seeding in for that to be relevant. But, mm-hmm. you know, they could still get in there and use it. Yeah, yeah. for sure. <laughs> And then some examples of plants that you might like want to leave alone would be things like Rose Verbena, Blazing Star, Black-Eyed Susan, surprisingly. And just because the individual plants don't tend to live very long, uh, Black-Eyed Susan is a pretty aggressive spreader, but they're small enough that they're not going to outcompete other plants as much as some of the larger asters, uh, sunflowers. But yeah, you can leave, you can let them seed and do their thing. They're not going to take over like some other things like milkweed. Okay. <laughs> cool. I cannot stress enough that yes, milkweed are great, but just be really careful with them. Okay. <laughs> Another really fun editing method is called the Chelsea chop. This is actually very common in like normal gardening too. <laughs> I just recently went to a native garden seminar where they actually recommended you can actually do it twice on some of our native plants. So basically you're mimicking herbivory, you're mimicking this plant being eaten like it would in nature. And you just you just chop off the top third of the plant in early spring. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like a third up to a half of the plant, depending on the plant. And again, there's a lot of experimentation that goes on uh with native plants not all of these we know how they react to this method i'm not saying you go out and just chop all your plants (laughs) down but late season bloomers like some of our asters some of our sunflowers and especially like goldenrod you can chop them twice even they recommended either around father's day or like maybe a couple days after that uh, but not much past that, even on the really late season ones like goldenrod, which is like way fall. Okay. But this method will increase the amount of blooms and will also keep them from getting too tall, which can be an issue with some of especially things like goldenrod and asters, coneflower, stuff like that. Okay. So when you were explaining this to me, you told mm-hmm. me that you don't do it when there's flowers on it, though. It's before yes. they flower. Yes. You do it before they flower because... Once you even like before they get buds on them, mm-hmm. if if that plant has already have have buds on it, if you chop it, especially if you're t- chopping off like a half the plant, that is really 
detrimental to it okay. because it's it's already started to put its energy into those flowers and now you're right. chopping those flowers off and it's it's really hard to come back from that okay so yeah any of this any pruning and anything that's going on in your garden should be done before any buds appear before it starts really burning its energy stores yeah yeah mm-hmm. cool yeah making flowers is very energy intensive for okay. plants so yeah thank cool. you for that clarification you're welcome <laughs> well it's very fun because i feel like you know plants are more resilient than we give them credit for mm-hmm. often mm-hmm. you know they're you know, not everything is a delicate, you know, orchid that yes. is, you know, <laughs> if you look at it wrong, it might just say, okay, I'm done. Yeah. You know, like they can handle a lot. I mean, and we've talked about plenty of times on the podcast about how in mm-hmm. a grassland, these are disturbance, you know, driven. adapted, yeah, yes. disturbance driven plants. And yeah. Uh, yeah. So they it's, actually it's cool. Them. Yes. Disturb they, them. they like it. They thrive on it. Choppy plants. Say, oh, yeah. Plants. Hit, hit me again. All right. You made it weird. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to do a Britney Spears reference, oh. and then I was like, oh. that's dumb. And then it just was it just turned naughty. <laughs> I don't think the Britney Spears song is, oh, yeah, hit me again. <laughs> well, yeah, she I know, I bailed herself. on it. Yeah, oh, okay, bailed on it. And then it was more weird. This stays in. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. That's editing your garden. Yeah. Let's move on. All right. <laughs> And can I just say also one yes. thing you said about, um, especially about Brad Durr, who's a friend of our organization. Yes. With Dick, Dick Arboretum. Dick Arboretum. Of yes. Course. Great people up there. About how, because he has been gardening for decades. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Constantly. Like it is his career. It's his <laughs> yeah. ex- area of expertise. It is actually his reason for living. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and even he is still kind of experimenting with things like there will be things you know you try out and it's like whoop this was uh, a little bit of a mess you know and Mm -hmm. it's fine it's you know uh i like also just feeling like you can't really do this wrong yeah and it's okay for things to go wrong in some ways and because it's a learning experience right yeah Yeah. Yeah. it's not like oh i failed my garden (laughs) yes i'll just let's just mow it down and Mm-hmm. You know, put in some, I don't know, just lay down some grass seed yeah, from Home yeah. Depot. Please don't. You know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and I mean, the cool thing is when you're gardening and you're ripping out plants that you no longer want, you can give them to a friend. So it's not a complete loss. That's right. Because just because I think it's trash doesn't mean somebody else yeah. or everyone else thinks it's trash. Yeah. Absolutely. What a great message. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> that never would have occurred to me. <laughs> Amazing. (laughs) So now that we've gotten, you know, you got your why, we got general kind of editing tips. Let's go more into the how that Alan was trying to get at like Mm -hmm. a while ago. I'm so sorry, Alan. I jumped the gun. Yeah. Yeah. It's okay. (laughs) So my, my biggest tip, even if you're not gardening for bugs though the main this is one of the biggest things when you're gardening for bugs Mm -hmm. (laughs) but my biggest tip is to try to plan out your garden so that you have a variety of colors a variety of flower shapes and that you have blooms year round so have really early spring bloomers have summer bloomers and have fall bloomers that is going to provide food for insects but also you know birds and everything else 
And it's going to just have visual interest in your garden. So it's going to benefit you as well. I was going to say, like, the nice thing about these tips is that it just <laughs> sounds like a great idea for gardens in general, just for yes. the human aspect. Yes. Like, yeah. yeah, have more flowers more of the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, great. Mm-hmm. Win-win. Yeah, absolutely. One guideline, I guess, that I've seen was that they tend, people tend to plant about 90% wildflowers 10% grasses if you want to incorporate grasses into your landscape again comes back to your why grasses can provide a lot of really cool visual interest a lot of them like little blue stem will have color through the winter they are also really good host plants for things like skippers like we mentioned earlier they when you chop them down you can pile them up in a pile and that can become a brush pile for some small birds it can be a nesting site for bumblebees like there's a lot of different benefits to grasses but they do come with some maintenance that is different than wildflowers and maybe that visual peer appeal is just not there for you that's okay if you don't want to have grasses don't have grasses is the 10 percent grasses recommended or is it just totally arbitrary It's mostly arbitrary. It's just, it's a good amount of like visual interest and like. Not going to upset the HOA too much. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Cool. So 10% by like ground cover grasses. Yeah. Okay. And that's not a hard and fast rule. I've definitely seen native plant gardens that were closer to maybe 20% grasses. Mm -hmm. And if you do want to maximize your garden's appeal to pollinators, we touched on this a little bit as far as like flowers, shape and colors, but to be a little bit more specific, like butterflies really like broad flowers that are easy to land on for the most part, at least big butterflies. And they like the colors orange, red, yellow, pink, and purple. So very warm colors. Bumblebees also like really broad flowers because they're very big (laughs) and they need kind of like a landing pad. And all bees like purple, violet, and blue. So it is a little different. So depending on what kind of pollinator you want to attract, you might do different colors. Smaller bees obviously can enter smaller flowers, but again, they still like those purple, violet, blue colors. That doesn't mean that they wouldn't visit a yellow flower. It just means that they have a preference, yes. right? Okay. Yeah. Depending on the flower. Some sure. some, <laughs> some flowers are just straight up inaccessible to them, mm-hmm. depending on the bee. But yeah. And we mentioned red or pink being good for hummingbirds. But then there's also our nighttime pollinators, uh, like bats or moths. They really like white flowers because white stands out at night. That's it. That's why. <laughs> like, yeah, <makes> the other <laughs> pollinators, like their eyes can just detect those colors the best. And that's why they prefer them. But nighttime white stands out. So cool. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> very simple. <laughs> Don't flies also like white flowers? I, yes, I do yeah. believe so. They also like very stinky flowers <laughs> a lot oh, of times yes. that Yum. smell like death or poop. So, mm. you know, maybe not the best ones to have around in your garden, but no, no, have you do them. you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah. And as far as like design tips, again, it really comes down to personal preference, but some general tips that might seem obvious But I've also told people and they were like, oh, (laughs) I never really thought about it (laughs) would be, you know, short plants in the front, tall plants in the back. And also think about the garden from like different angles. So not only 
things like curb appeal, but what does it look like from inside your house? If you literally put all the short plants in the front and then all the tall plants in the back, and then you're inside your house and all you can see is the grasses that you have in the back, it's not very (laughs) exciting. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So maybe you have the grasses in the middle and you have short plants all the way around them. Things like that. Aww. Yeah. Yeah. You can enjoy enjoy it from every place you might enjoy it. Yeah. That's cute. It's important to think about. (laughs) And it's important to think about where you're planting them. Is it shade? Is it sun? But also, is it well-draining soil that's going to be really dry because you live next to a river? (laughs) (laughs) Or is it very, very clayey and it's going to hold that moisture in? Because different plants, it's... I feel like a lot of people are like, oh, what can I plant underneath this tree? And I'm like, well... I mean, there's plenty of things I could offer you, but like, what's your soil like? That's also almost just as important. Mm. So yeah, (laughs) make sure you're not just looking at like, oh, this is a shade plant. I can definitely use it underneath this tree because that might not be true. Mm -hmm. And another big thing that people have a lot of questions about is mulch and how much to use. Mm. Again, comes back to your goals I would recommend in a new garden putting in anywhere between three inches, even up to five inches of mulch. Whoa, really? Yeah. (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) Yes. So if, especially if you're doing like a demonstration garden or a garden that's going to be in a high visibility area, that mulch is going to be really helpful for keeping out weeds. So, and you need like several inches to do that really well and not have to be in the garden all the time editing out stuff. So putting in that much mulch would be like an alternative to putting down a plastic barrier or something? Okay. Yeah. And those plastic barriers, please don't use them. One, because they're absolutely horrible for the environment, but also they don't work. (laughs) So just don't. Just just mulch, 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 mulch. If you think you have enough mulch, put another inch down. Mm -hmm. Like you can't have too much. Just completely coat it. Yeah. Cover the existing whatever. Yeah. You can also use what's called the lasagna method <laughs> if, if you're starting a new garden. I was oh my say, god! I think is this is this. I think this is maybe what I did, and I did have good results with it. Yeah. But yes, go explain what that is. Yes. So you can use like a layer of cardboard, and again, I say a layer of cardboard. It can be like two or three layers deep of cardboard. Oh. You put in a fresh dirt, fresh dirt, not just like what you dug out of this area, but nice fresh clean dirt, um, and then you put in your whatever kind of mulch you want to use. So. Yeah. And you can plant directly through that cardboard um, and through the mulch, your plants. So, yes, that that is what we did. That when Rachel, you actually helped me put in some native plants a couple Mm -hmm. years ago. And that's Mm -hmm. what we did. We did, we laid like cardboard boxes out, put a little bit of newspaper on there as well. And then, yeah, and dirt, mulch, and just, yeah, shot the plants because we had, we were doing transplants. So we just shot them straight through the cardboard, just cut straight through. Yep. Great results. A lot of those plants established, mm-hmm. they're self-seeding. It's going great. Yeah. And that cardboard is going to break down. And yeah, it's much more eco-friendly than a bunch of plastic For in the sure. garden. Yes. <laughs> cool. And La- more effective. Yes. Lasagna so. method. I endorse it. Yes. It's, it's very good. <laughs> and so I, I recommended, you know, three to five inches if you're wanting something very clean. But if your gardening goals include gardening for bugs, you might want to have some areas of bare dirt because up to, I think, 70% of our native bees are actually ground nesters that are literally (laughs) digging holes in the ground and nesting underground. Mm. 
And if you have five inches of mulch, they probably won't be able to get all the way down to the ground underneath. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, you know, either a very thin layer of mulch that's going to decompose fairly quickly. It's still going to help keep the weeds out while your garden is establishing. But as it decomposes, you have that bare dirt and you have your plants starting to spread out and shade out any weeds that might be coming in. So, yeah, I, I usually only do a couple inches in stuff that I'm planting, but it really, again, it depends. Also, <laughs> birds will take dust baths in it. Aww. I just need to add more mm-hmm. non-bug content. Sorry. That's fair. <laughs> I already admitted that I only think about bugs when I, I plant, know. so I appreciate said you. said instead of bird earlier, so yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Another big question that I get a lot is, should I plant seeds or should I plant plugs, so mm. little baby plants? I usually recommend that people just do plugs or they do a plug and seed mixture. Native gardening is also is already a very uh, patient process, especially for prairie plants. In general, whenever you start a prairie garden, the first year you might not even get flowers from all your plants. Mm. The second year you start to get flowers, they might start you know maturing a little bit more, but it's that third year which sounds so long, (laughs) but it's the third year where you get that wow factor when the plants are starting to spread out and they really start to look good. Mm. So if you're starting from seed, you're just prolonging that process by six months to a year. Oh, wow. So it's, it's certainly an option. I've done gardens that were just plugs and I've done gardens that were seeds and plugs both were valid and they ended up being very beautiful gardens, but yeah, again, comes back to your goal and how you want your garden to look so and how impatient you are it yes. sounds yes. like <laughs> yes it's, that too <laughs> the waiting is tough yeah it's mm-hmm. very tough would you say um with seed mm-hmm. well first of all the timing is going to be very different because like with native seeds they need to go out uh in many cases and be exposed to the elements for long enough to for that seed coat to like break down before they can germinate right so that there's a whole other kind of thought process with seed too yes yeah you kind of have to know more what you're doing with seeds (laughs) not that it's yeah (laughs) don't know what i'm doing (laughs) not that it's impossible and not Mm -hmm. that you can't have great success with seeds but it's just it's a little bit harder yeah um and so that process is oftentimes called cold stratification and it is something that you can do like in your fridge or like I recommend if people want to do seeds collect them in the fall put them out in like an unheated garage or like out on your front step somewhere and just literally just leave them outside over winter and that will get them ready to germinate in the spring cool so if you do if you do it in your fridge you can actually speed up the process significantly by doing what's called wet stratification so it goes from like a minimum of two months of cold to if you keep them just slightly moist, like in like wrapped up in a paper towel, I believe it cuts it pretty much in half. So in a month, you can be ready to plant those seeds and they will germinate. So, nice. yeah. Do you find like if you are clearing a spot that was previously weedy or previously lawn and then trying to plant from seed, do the seeds compete well with whatever exists in the seed bank of that site or is it is there just a lot of weeding up front is there like do you need to do something to kind of nuke that spot before you seed it like what do you do you have any like what 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 do you suggest on that yeah no that's a great question i as someone who did not do this i would recommend <laughs> yeah. 
uh, just sh like taking out the top like four inches of soil and re I don't I don't know what you want to do with that. You can give it away to a friend who wants some turf grass, I guess. But <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like getting rid of that and putting in fresh soil that okay. doesn't have that seed bank because especially things like crabgrass are very difficult to combat and almost no amount of mulching will take out that grass. Yeah. Okay. It's it's extremely difficult. You could also like tarp the area or place down cardboard boxes and put like rocks on top of them and kill that grass completely. So you would do that like in the fall. Oh, like uh, solarizing. Is yes. What they call that. Yeah. yeah. Solarizing the grass and completely killing it. It's kind of baking the ground underneath. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can use like a black tarp and do it in the middle of summer and nothing's going to survive underneath there. So nice. okay. Yeah. Sounds, huh. Like a lot. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, I mean, either killing the grass through, I would recommend not chemical means or removing it is going to, would be my recommendation. I have planted uh, <laughs> like on top of like, like semi weeded kind of pulled out grass. It came back and was just <laughs> a mess and was a constant struggle. Yeah. And I've heard, cause I've, don't have access to those gardens anymore. I've heard that they're basically just grass now. So, yeah. oh man, yeah, yeah, it's frustrating. Something else that I wanted to touch on that is a little uh, controversial. Oh, hit, hit us with that controversial stuff, Nicole. On, only in the native <laughs> plant world. I, oh, okay. A lot of people maybe don't realize how controversial this is, but I know. <laughs> <laughs> is native ours? So cultivated natives. Oh yeah. Okay. So. Okay. What was the term you just used? Nativars. Na oh, nativars. Okay. Yeah. Okay, yeah. cool. I personally do not like nativars. So for <laughs> the same reasons that non-native plants are inaccessible a lot of times to our native pollinators and our native wildlife, nativars sometimes, not all the time, will have like different colors of flowers or they'll have longer lasting blooms or bigger blooms that are now negating at least some of the benefits that they would otherwise be giving to our pollinators. And something else, again, we mentioned how the non-native plants don't even provide like the nutritional value that is needed. There's not really been studies on native ours and how their nutrition differs from native plants. Mm. So it might not be an issue, but it might be an issue. <laughs> yeah. So. A lot of native ours are sold in like big box grocery yes. stores and that sort of thing mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> as if they are like native plants and they have the same names like Liatris and yeah. stuff, but they're, who knows how different or yeah. if they're providing nectar rewards and stuff. Yeah. They might not even have nectar because that's, yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, huh. yeah. okay. Or fewer seeds, then you're not attracting as many birds, things like that. Yeah. I think the ones so. I see the most often are yarrow, coneflower, and liatris yeah. sold as like very big. And so just like as a general definition for people who don't understand what we're talking about, they're just selectively bred to be more beautiful or whatever. Like mm -hmm. we breed show dogs, you know. <laughs> so um, is, is the idea kind of like for, for like native plants for people who are – like you know might plant annuals right mm -hmm. like who that might you know want to have like a nice oh, okay it's springtime i want to you know get my flower garden going mm -hmm. 
don't want to wait three years. Like, is that, that's kind of what the native R's purpose is. I feel like, yeah, that that's probably part of it. Cause I guarantee you we've bred them to be quicker producing and like produce more flowers, mm-hmm. which again, it might not be a bad thing, but maybe it is. We just don't know. Um, there's also a lot of native R's, like, especially with the grasses that are significantly different colors than the natives that they're based off of and like originally bred from. Mm-hmm. Like there's a lot of different little blue stem varieties that like, don't even look like little blue stem. Yeah. And a lot of times like you can tell a native var apart from like a true native because they'll have some kind of like fancy name like fireworks or golden parade or something. Yeah. So. yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Man, here's a dark thought though. Is it more dangerous to plant a native var in a place where that plant originated originated from mm. because it could interbreed with wild species? Yeah. I mean, that's that's Ooh. a good question, and I really don't know because for the most part, people are kind of like. Native R's aren't like the best option, but it's better than nothing. But that's a really good question. And I don't know. Like, yeah. could it interfere with mm-hmm. like, right. hybrid, like genetics and kind of yeah. mess with yeah. that? Yeah, like growing coneflowers in a place where coneflowers aren't native might be totally fine and chill and it might not give them the same or nectar rewards. But like in a place like Kansas, is that mm-hmm. dangerous to our native plant populations? Yeah. Fa- yeah, interesting. I guess it sounds like the research is not there. No. Huh. Right. You look yeah. scarred. <laughs> I'm terrified by this. Like, we already have so many issues. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Uh, <laughs> well, it's 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 scary because it's the kind of thing where it's like good intentions. Yeah. Good intentions could end up causing harm, and that's yes. always, that's always a huge bummer. And that's irreparable mm-hmm. harm. You know, it's like how many bison don't have cows bred into them. You know, like we right. can't fix that. We yeah. can't go back There's, from that. You cannot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Huh. So I don't like native bars, <laughs> which is a little controversial to say. Um, Rachel is in but, the abyss now. We need yeah. to talk about something cheerful. <laughs> uh, okay. Oh, um, uh, no. Yeah. Uh, do you, do you need your emotional support caterpillar? caterpillar? Yeah, can okay. I have her back? <laughs> Dana. There we go. Welcome back to my arms, little oh baby. My gosh. Beautiful. So I, I promised some resources and honestly, I will give some, but <laughs> the best, the issue is that like, I know a lot of really good Kansas resources because I live in Kansas. Yeah. <laughs> and so I don't like, I don't have like a really good Australian resource to give people. I don't have a good European resource to give people. So I guess one is like be curious so you can use apps that exist like iNaturalist and Seek and just go out and like find what native plants exist in your area and then you have something to look for in a nursery or you know you can find out what it looks like in the wild and decide if that's something you might want to try in your garden and iNaturalist and Seek will both help you identify that plant that's in front of you and then you can search you know place native plant nursery and you're gonna find something like (laughs) i wrote in my notes (laughs) australia there's lots of native plant nurseries you have no excuse (laughs) because i looked it up just because i was curious (laughs) and it's true there's so many i was very impressed by australia's native plant selection but like as far as like which one's good i don't know like yeah and i'm not sorry i love you guys dear listeners i'm not gonna spend hours researching 50 different native plant nurseries to see which ones have good options. Yeah. Yes. You're going to have to do that yourself. <laughs> and you have no excuse not to, Australia. Yes. Yeah. You're on notice. 
Get on it. <laughs> Our Australian <laughs> listeners are really so cold out right now. Sorry, guys. <laughs> Good. <laughs> but as far as United United States resources, some that stand out to me as being very helpful would be plantnative.org. They have not only really good articles on like native plants and recommendations and things like that, but they also have a database of native plant sellers. So very, very good, helpful website, plantnative.org. There's also Ladybird Johnson Center, which is wildflower.org. They like you can pick your state and they'll give you just a list of recommended plants. They'll tell you, is it shade? Is it like, you know, well draining soil? All that good stuff. Very, very cool resource. They have great information on that website too. I've yeah. accidentally ended up there so many times. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Very, very good website. And then a third one that's a little bit more specific to the lower Midwest is the Grow Native website. Again, has a ton of native plant sellers, a lot of really good articles, and they also do very good webinars. I listened to one last week, and it was very well done. So highly recommend their webinars. (laughs) Okay. Uh, I did find in Europe, I found a website called floraveg.eu. It's a bit scientifically written. (laughs) (laughs) But it gives you a really good overview of the different kinds of plants and ecosystems that exist. Mm -hmm. So, again, kind of a good, like, launching off point if you're just interested in natives and want to learn more about them. Mm -hmm. You could also investigate, like, local organizations. Definitely. A lot of places. You know, anything from a native plant society to Mm -hmm. a local master gardener group. would might be able to give you some guidance if you're if you're if this is something that's very new to you. Mm -hmm. You really don't know where to start, and the idea of doing a lot of research on your own is daunting. Then, you know, if you want to talk to some people and see what they're doing, and yeah. Absolutely. Always always look around your town, you know? Yeah. Plant nerds love to talk plants. For sure. (laughs) I'm sitting across from one right now. Yes. Yeah. And always vet wildflower seed packages. Yes. yes. Please Google every species that's in that mix because, boy howdy. (laughs) Compare it to your Lady Bird Johnson Wildflower Center uh, (laughs) state list. Yes, yes. Um, a couple, I, I, I left this off, but a couple really good Kansas specific resources would be Dick Arboretum of the Plains. Mm-hmm. Amazing, amazing resource. Absolutely. They have native plant sales. They have one of the most ridiculously detailed, uh, <laughs> like websites that's just like full of blog posts about like anything you could possibly ever want to know about native plants, at least yeah. in Kansas. Like, what do I plant in the shade? What do I, yeah, stuff about specifically about grasses and upkeep, stuff about converting your lawn to uh, buffalo grass. Like, mm-hmm. you can find anything on that website. There's so much information there. It's very cool. Yeah. And then another one would be kswildflower.org or the Kansas Wildflower app, which is very cool because you can sit in front of this weird flower and be like, okay, it's yellow. It has five petals (laughs) and it just, (laughs) it slowly narrows it down and helps you identify the flower in front of you. And I kind of, while Seek and iNaturalist are cool because they kind of do it for you, Mm -hmm. it's fun to use like a field guide or like the Kansas wildflower app just because it encourages you to like look really closely at it and you're probably going to actually remember the identification because you had to work on it a little bit true. Um, true. so at least that's for me every 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 time I identify something with the seek app I'm like cool and then I 
just immediately forget it. Mm -hmm. So, well, because you don't have the tangible memory of saying, oh, it does have leaves that are opposite from each other, you know, or whatever sparked your recognition of it. Mm -hmm. Right. You haven't actually taken time to observe. Yes. You've just just pointed your your phone (laughs) at it (laughs) and it told you what it was. So it's fine. It's a good exercise. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. But yeah, that is all I have. Do you guys have any questions? I mean, some of mine were answered, like, Good. in terms of, I don't want to mow my lawn, so <laughs> I would, <laughs> no, okay, but no, um, but yeah, I, you talked a lot about the zero escaping and mm-hmm. how it, 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 you know, it saying, saying that native gardens are low maintenance comes with a caveat of eventually, right? <laughs> it can <laughs> yes. be a lot of work to get them, to, to get your site prepped, to get them mm-hmm. established. But that's true for any garden. That's true for any so. garden. Yeah. Um, I guess one thing you touched on, um, especially since, you know, we, we talk about grasslands, uh, and we are in a, we are most, when we're talking about native garden, what we're talking about is usually prairie plants. Not a lot of shade on a prairie. Yeah. Some, not a lot, Mm -hmm. a lot of shade in yards. So what, what are some like, you know, what, what, what are some of those native prairie plants that, Mm -hmm. that would handle the shade? So surprisingly there are quite a few that can handle at least light shade so things like some coneflowers not all but some coneflowers do okay in some shade they might get kind of tall and gangly because they are looking for sun but they won't die and then you can do (laughs) you could do something like the chelsea chop method and chop them down to hopefully keep them from getting too tall so it is an option some some better options would be, I mean, you can have prairie plants in the sunny spots, but then under the trees, plant something from a savanna or plant something from a forest. So something like a cardinal flower, they grow along stream banks a lot of times, so they need a lot of water, but they grow underneath trees, like they grow in forests. Or Joe Pieweed is technically like a prairie plant, but it does surprisingly well in the shade. Uh, columbines also do very well in the shade. Solomon's seal does very well in the shade, but it is, again, it's not a prairie plant. It is a forest plant. So, I mean, it's okay to not just plant prairie plants because these are still native plants that Mm -hmm. are still providing a benefit. So yeah, do what makes sense for that space. Yeah. That's a good message. Yeah. Cause yeah, like you're, you'll have spots in your yard that aren't ideal for maybe the plants you want, but there's mm-hmm. definitely something native that could probably fit in that space. 100%. Yeah. Like, you know, there, there are people who get, you know, who have spots in their yard that are, like, have depressions where a mm-hmm. lot of water collects. Yes. And we've seen people, like, plant button bush or something like mm-hmm. that, which is a riparian plant. But, it, you know, you plant it in a very soggy area and it's like, great, you know, yeah, so exactly. there's, you know, there's, there's a spot for whatever, I guess. Yes, yeah. absolutely. And if your yard is full of a lot of shade, that means like the way that that yard is functioning as habitat is probably not prairie like anyway. And so the yeah. animals that might mm-hmm. be there trying to use it wouldn't necessarily be prairie plant or prairie animals. Yeah. You know, it's like you're never going to get a meadowlark at your bird feeder if you're in the city, you know, like <laughs> yeah, they're just, yeah. they're not the ones utilizing it. So, mm-hmm. yeah. For sure. Yeah. I have a really specific question. Do okay. you have any advice for someone who has, say, like a very old school minded neighbor mm-hmm. who, for example, will travel onto your property line and cut your plants down oh, oh. Uh, for you when mm-hmm. they get 
in in a way that they don't like yeah. and Ooh. constantly wages a battle, for example, on leaves mm-hmm. and uh, has so many chemicals in her yard that the curb <laughs> has gotten stained. Uh, you know, if you have a neighbor uh-huh. like that, is That's... there a way that you can cope and make your more naturalistic yard mm-hmm. appealing to them? Something about that seemed very personal. It yeah. is. <laughs> yeah, if you had a really specific neighbor like that, uh, my really specific advice for you. Um, <laughs> no, this. I think this is a really good thing to talk about mm-hmm. because native plants do kind of get a bad rap as being weedy looking. Mm-hmm. And part of that, I feel like, is just people using the wrong plants and not being intentional with their planting. So I mentioned things like butterfly milkweed over common milkweed. There are a lot of native plants that grow very compactly and grow very cleanly or that you could trim in such a way that they can become very clean and nice and pretty. Uh, Keeping up on your mulching, I think, is really important if you live either somewhere like with an HOA or somewhere with very nosy neighbors Mm -hmm. because it's going to keep the weeds down. It's going to keep it looking more traditional and nice. Mm. I would say probably avoid moose grasses, especially something like a switchgrass, which is very naughty, like not naughty, but it nods. It's yeah. top heavy. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it's just like big and like some people like that and consider it showy, but some people just absolutely hate that. Yeah. And it just looks like a weed. So something like a little blue stem would be a better option if you want to include okay. a grass. Um, And also just making sure that your landscaping looks intentional. So have a border on it. Mm. It's amazing what a border (laughs) can do. Yeah. (laughs) Like, and you can even label your plants um, Mm. or, you know, get a certification like through National Wildlife Federation or through um, the, what is it? The National Backyard something something. Yeah. Uh, what is it called? Backyard Wildlife Habitat. Per thing. I know well, what that's you're from National about. Wildlife. That's There's a, another one. NWF. Their logo has a lightning bug on it. Mm, okay. I don't remember. <laughs> I don't know. It's, my, it's me trying to think. I don't remember. But yeah, no. Yeah, getting one of those um, signs. Yeah. Put and... a fancy sign in your yard and then yeah. it looks official. Yeah. So... Hey, and if you're in Wichita, get a, get yourself a B city sign. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. We can do that now. We can do yeah, that now. Throw that up. We will certify your garden. <laughs> yes. 100%. Absolutely. <laughs> Just some free signs. Mm-hmm. Another option would be to get your yard certified through something like National Wildlife Federation or insert state here, Wildlife Federation, um, like Kansas Wildlife Federation, (laughs) or something through the Homegrown National Park. You could do uh, Monarch Way Stations if you have milkweeds in your yard. There's lots of different options out there. Each one of those do have different requirements. So like Monarch uh, Way Stations, I believe they have to have milkweed and then like three or four other species of plants and you have to have like different bloom periods Mm. i think are the requirements there but like national wildlife federation is a it's more of a holistic approach i guess like Mm. you have to have not just plants but you have to have like a bird feeder or bird bath like you, you have to provide not just food but also water and and 
Shelter. Shelter. Yes. Thank you. And food can look like the plants you're providing to it. It yes. doesn't have to be like a food station or yes. a pile of right. corn or something. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> but yeah. Probably not a good idea to just throw a pile of yeah food in your yard. <laughs> yeah. Unless you're gardening for raccoons. In which case, yes. <laughs> go for it. Yes. Weird choice. But yeah. <laughs> Live your dreams, man. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, so each one of those certifications look a little different. Um, What's the homegrown uh, national, national park? park? Uh, it's just it's just another certification. I mean, it's not just another certification, but it is one that's becoming a little bit more popular recently. Okay, um, and I I do like it. It's, I mean, just the name is really cute. Like it's homegrown national name. park, yeah. like a national park right in your backyard. Like, and they have a freaking firefly in their logo. Like. Again, biased, but at least I acknowledge it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, it's it's a really, really cool program. It's very much, like, grassroots-based. Uh, okay. And they call themselves the largest cooperative conservation project ever conceived or attempted. Like, God. <laughs> I, I really like Homegrown National Park. It's a very cool program. It's intense. I love it. Yes. <laughs> ever conceived. Yes. You've never even thought about something this awesome. <laughs> I love it. Yes. Oh, wow. <sighs> so their goal is to have 20 million acres of native plantings in the U.S. That's so. big. I can conceive of something bigger. 21 <laughs> ever there conceived. There you go. Done. Yeah, done. Take that. Wow. Take. Uh, what are the requirements like for them, though? I'm not 100% sure what all the requirements are, but I I just really like them. They have a lot of really good information on their website also. And one of, like, one of the founders was actually uh, Douglas Tallamy. So, oh, he, oh, he's like the – he's the, like – he wrote the what I forget the name of his book, but bringing mm -hmm. nature home. Yes, That's, yes. yes. Oh, oh, yeah. Yes. And like he talks Native about how gardening. Yes, he's OG. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm how, terrible with names, but I recognize <laughs> that book. <laughs> yes, yes. And how you know there's X amount of millions of acres in people's backyards, and if we just band together and make them into native spaces, we'll save the world, which is wow. a concept that I just love. The stakes are high, people. Yeah. Knowing that, would you say that planting a native garden then would make you objectively better than your neighbors? Yes. What more motivation do you need, people? And you can get a sign to prove it. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I love it. Yeah. I don't think my neighbor would care, but some neighbors would find that really charming. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And another fun thing that you could do if you're feeling very adventurous uh, there are a lot of cities that have ordinances that don't allow plants like in your yard over, you know, two feet tall or whatever. Oh. And they do not have native plant uh, exceptions. So if you're feeling real rowdy, you could go to your city council <gasps> and be like, hey, this is unacceptable and it needs to change. Oh, my so. God. Dang. Ooh, be rowdy. I love that. That's yeah. cool. Okay. City yes. councils are pretty chill sometimes. We've yeah. found that out recently by working with ours. <laughs> yeah. so. They were very yeah. supportive. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's pretty great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it is kind of nice that if you want to actually change something in your community, there are people who actually want probably to see that happen as well. Yeah. And you just need to get together mm -hmm. and just, make it happen. Yeah. yeah. It's not like trying to sway the federal government to do something. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, local local action does matter. Yes, yeah. 100%. Yeah. Yeah, cool. So 
we are having this native plant discussion in February. Yes. Maybe seems a bit early. <laughs> But it's a good time to really start planning yes. for the spring, right? Like this is This is still garden time. Mm-hmm. Yeah? Yeah. There is no time to not be thinking about your garden. And no time okay. to not be... <laughs> 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 and no time to not be outside and enjoying what nature has to offer. And for a lot of people, a garden is a really good excuse to get outside. And I love that. So, yeah. Yeah. So right now is a great time for people to take this and go do stuff with it yeah research what's native to your area uh where you might be able to get those plants all that good stuff plan your garden draw your garden yeah you don't have to be an artist to like draw circles and like color that one blue and pretend like you know you can chart it out in excel or something yeah 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 (laughs) like you know yeah yeah you You don't have to make a really fancy garden plan like it's whatever works for you so yeah My wife uses uh, like a grid. She mm-hmm. draws a grid and she just puts sticky notes everywhere. Nice. There's a lot of like, yeah. Just like, this is, I think this will go here. This will go here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's so. You yes. don't have to be fancy with it. Not at all. It's an it's experiment. Really yeah. Yeah. I love the sticky note wall method of organizing things. That's so <laughs> fun. Yeah. If you're a visual person, yes. Yes. <laughs> Take inspiration from her. Well, thanks, Nicole. And thank you guys for listening. Uh, The Best Biome is produced by our nonprofit Grassland Groupies, dedicated to inspiring the conservation of grasslands and also now bringing that grasslands to Wichita. Uh, B-City. B-City. In the show notes, you can find our website, phone number, social media accounts, etc. So just text, call, or tweet us your suggestions, fan mail, or hate mail. And if you enjoyed the show and want to support us, just tell your friends about us. You can also leave a review for us on Podchaser or Apple Podcasts. Whatever you just support us, we appreciate it because we literally could not do this without your support. And big shout out to everyone who uh, went and contacted their city council members, too, because we saw you and the city council members also told us that they saw you. So (laughs) thank you for that. You guys are amazing. And uh, that's all we got. So see you in a couple weeks. Uh, Bye. Bye.